0: So this is an important day in the life of our church. This is a day where uh, we kick off a new message series for the purpose of really kind of centering our hearts and our minds and our souls on pursuing God's vision for the future of our church. Now this message series is not intended to give you the vision for our church. That's not what this series is because together as God's people, as this body of believers called together in this time and in this place, we're going to walk through a process in the upcoming weeks and months to help us together discern where is God leading us. So this series is not intended to say, here's the vision of our church, are you in or out? This is a a series really intended to say, are you in for the process of together discerning what God is asking us to do in the future. This is a really important series for us because vision is critical for our church. We need to know what God wants us to do in the future so that we can give everything that we are and everything that we have to God's vision for the future of Lakeview Church. I would have been a great place for an amen kids, you're going to have to help me out again. I thought the adults were catching on, but we're going to, have to, we're going to have to work on it some more. So it's really, really, really important for us during this time to lean into this. Now, some of you might be saying, what is vision? Well, vision can be defined as a clear and compelling picture of the future that drives us to take action. In other words, we see something out in the future that forms a destination, a place that we want to go together, and we see that and we want to go there so desperately that it actually drives us to unite together, to take action, to put our hands to the work, to see our church actually move forward to accomplish what God has put in front of us to accomplish. Andy Stanley says it this way. He says vision is a picture of what could and should be. That there's a time in the life of a body of believers where we start to see what could be true in the future. How our community could be different and better. How our church could be different and better. And at some point, that picture of what could be true in the future grips our heart. And it actually becomes what should be true in the future. And it grips our heart so much that we're willing to make hard decisions we're willing to step out of our comfort zone, we're willing to take daring risks so that we can actually move forward into everything that God has for us. That's what vision is, and I think it's time for Lakeview Church to discern a new vision for the future. In fact, I think it's critical for us to do so. Now, some of you might be saying, well, why is it critical? Why is vision so important? Well, There are lots of reasons I could give you today, but I tried for the sake of time to boil it down to maybe just two or three. So one of the reasons vision is important is because without vision, we might think that our current reality is our final destination. In other words, we might be tempted to think that we've already arrived and that this is as good as it's going to get, and all we just need to do is kind of hold on to this until Jesus comes back, or we cease to be as a church. And I just want to let you know that's not acceptable. We're not going to live in our current reality and assume that we've gotten where God wants us to go. No, we have a future to pursue. Now, we can look back over the history of our church, and we ought to with, with thanksgiving and gratitude. God has been so faithful. This church was founded in 1960, and we can look back over our history, and we can see moments and seasons and times where God was clearly blessing this church. People were coming to faith in Jesus. Their lives were being changed. People were being called to ministry. People were being sent out to serve both in this community and around the world. Right? That's part of what was happening in this place. And we should be thankful for that. God's been so very good to us. We can look back over our history and we can see moments where maybe it didn't seem like the blessing was there. Maybe it was a little bit more of a challenge. Maybe there were a lot of difficulties. In fact, we can look at moments in our history and we can say that season, that moment, that situation was flat out wrong. It didn't honor God. It didn't live up to what God intended for us as a church. I just want to let you know, every church has that. We're not unique in that. Every church has moments in their history where they can see God's blessing, and they have moments in their history where they can see where they got off track as a church. It happens to every single church. And so we take our history, the the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, the ugly, and we put it all together, and we realize that here we are today, on August 9th, 2020, 60 years after our founding as an organization, and we know that God has preserved this church. He's protected this church. He's kept this church here, which just begs the question, why would God do that? Is it just so we can hold on to what we have today? Or is it because God has something that he wants us to accomplish as we move into the future? I believe it's that. And that's why vision's important. We must pursue God's vision because where we are today is not our final destination. God has kept us as a church because he has something he wants us to do. And I think it makes a whole lot of sense for us to commit together to pursue God's vision for our future. Vision's important because our present reality is not our final destination. It's also important because without vision, we will lack unity. We will lack unity if we don't have a vision. Right? When, when a church doesn't have one clear and compelling picture of where we're supposed to go together, then individuals and little pockets of people feel free to develop their own vision of where the church should go. This is the church of a thousand visions. And what happens when you have a church of a thousand visions is that you have a church that's kind of driven by special interest groups. You get a little pocket of people who think this is what the church should do, and so they row in that direction. And then you got another group of people who think the complete opposite picture is where we should go, and they row in that direction. And you have a thousand of those directions going, and guess what happens to a church of a thousand visions? It goes nowhere, it's stuck. And guess what happens to stuck churches? They don't maintain and they don't grow church of a thousand vision over time it will decline and it will diminish in size and in influence and it won't live up to what God has for that church to accomplish so what we need and why we must pursue God's vision is because we need one picture that we all look at and say that's the picture we are pursuing so that we can all row in the same direction because if we do that we will actually go somewhere We'll get, we'll get momentum, we'll get movement. We'll be pursuing one picture of the future and we'll all be pulling in the same direction and God will help us go where he wants us to go. Without vision, we will lack unity. I'll give you one more. Again, I could give you a lot more, but I'll just give you one more right now. Without vision, we will not maximize our fruitfulness. Every church is given a limited number of people, a limited number of dollars, a limited number of resources, and it's our job to make the most of everything that God has given to us. To take every resource, people, time, treasure, talent, and employ it to produce the greatest return for the kingdom of God. That's what we're called to do. That's what it means to be strategic. That's what it means to maximize our fruitfulness, and we're actually called to do this. Now, not every church gets this, but I believe in this church that you're going to get this. You're going to understand this. Not every church does. That's why eight out of every ten churches in the United States is plateaued or declining, because not every church gets this. But we're going to get it here. Matthew 25 is a teaching of Jesus where he talks about the parable of the talents. One of the things that churches do over time is they talk about being faithful And by being faithful, what they mean is we show up. We keep the lights on. We keep the doors open. And that would be great if that's what Jesus wanted for the church. But Jesus did not say, I'm going to build my church so they can keep the doors open and the lights on. That's not Jesus' intent. Jesus' intent is for us to actually produce a return for the kingdom of God. That's why we are here as a body of believers, We are actually called by God to be productive for God's kingdom endeavor in this world. That is the measure of our success as a church. So we don't get to roll forward 10 years, and if we're still here, maybe less of us, but the lights are on and the doors are still open, we don't get to say, we succeeded. No, that's not success. Success is seeing more and more people come to faith in Jesus Christ, have their lives radically changed by his grace and power, being raised up and sent back out into this world to be on mission with Jesus. That's what it means to be successful. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says there are three servants, and the master gives each of them a set of talents, money, resources. And they've got to go and invest those resources in a way that produces a return for the master. Now, there were two servants in the story that get identified as good and faithful servants, and guess which two those are? They're the two that produced a return. They took what God gave them, they invested it, and when they came back to the master, they were able to give more back to the master because they were faithful and fruitful with what the master had given to them. The one servant who just maintained, took his talent, buried it in the ground, said, my master's going to be so proud because I'm going to give back to him what he gave to me. That servant was called wicked and lazy. So we've got 60 years of history. God's been so good to us as a church, and it's wonderful. But if we take that and we bury it in the ground and just say, we're just going to hold on and maintain, that's not faithfulness. That is not faithfulness. If we are trying to preserve our past or build some kind of monument to what was before or create this place to be some kind of museum where people can come and remember the good old days of yesteryear, we are not being faithful to the God who founded this church and preserved this church through the highs and lows, the ups and downs, the good, the bad, the ugly, to bring us to where we are today. We are here today because God wants us to be fruitful in the future. And I'm just going to open my heart to you just for a minute, just because I'm officially installed now as your pastor, so you get to see the full deal today. It would be inappropriate for me as your pastor to allow you as a congregation to move forward without a vision. I would not be fulfilling the vows that I just made in front of you in that installation service if I said, yeah, let's just keep doing what we've always done. Let's just preserve everything as it's always been And let's not push forward into what God has for us next. It would be inappropriate for me to allow you to do that. Just as it would be 100% inappropriate for you to allow me as your pastor to not push for that. So I just want to let you know, I'm going to push you not to go back to the glory days. I'm going to push you to go forward. Because I'm here because I actually believe God wants to use us to bring transformation to Marion and Grant County. So I'm going to push you, and you ought to push me. You ought to push me. If you find me being too conservative, too comfortable, not daring enough, you ought to push me. I love my brother Dave Bellamy. I saw him. There he is right there. I love that bald head, sir. Oh, man. Every week, this guy pushes me. We got to grow younger, Pastor. Don't just, don't just do stuff to keep the old people happy. How old are you, Dave? How old are you? 86 years old. Pastor, don't do stuff to keep the old people happy. We have to reach younger people. Thank you, sir. You have to push me just like I'm going to push you because the future that God has for us, that's what we got to run after. And it's so tempting to be comfortable, so tempting to take the easy road, but as John Maxwell said in a conference I attended last week, everything worth having is uphill. It's uphill. It's not easy. So if we think that pursuing a future that God has for us is going to be a piece of cake and it's all going to be fun and it's not going to cost us anything, you're wrong. It's going to cost us a lot, but it's worth taking that journey because God's got something for us to do in the future, and we're going to go there together with everything that we have. Amen? Amen from this side? Can I get an amen? Yeah? Okay. All right. All right, we got a message to preach today. That was just all the introduction to the series, so... Vision's important, and so we're spending the next four weeks really focusing on an Old Testament story, the story of Nehemiah, to just learn some principles and some insights that are going to help us as we enter into this vision discernment process. We're going to walk through this in September. You're going to hear more about it as the series unfolds. But we've got vision focus groups that are coming in September. Every single one of you, those of you who are joining us online, we want all of you to be a part of the vision discernment process. Join a focus group. You can sign up for those. And there's going to be more information coming about that as the series unfolds. Okay? So we want you to, to be paying attention for that and be involved in that, be engaged in that. But this story from the Old Testament is going to give us some important principles that are going to position us to be able to discern God's vision together. And this morning, we're starting at the beginning of the story where we find Nehemiah as the cupbearer to the king. Now, this is kind of amazing to me that an enemy in exile would be invited into the king's presence on almost a daily basis to be the cupbearer to the king. This is this is a a role that requires a lot of trust, right? I mean, think about it. If you had your enemy and you brought them to your palace, would you want them in the same room with you all the time? I mean, it gives a great opportunity for the enemy who is in exile in your palace to take you out. So it says something about Nehemiah's responsibility and trustworthiness, that he does his job well in such a way that the king gives him trust, Of course, we we understand that God's favored Nehemiah and put him in this position, but there's something about Nehemiah's character, something about the king's willingness to trust, and something about the favor of God that places Nehemiah in exactly the right place at exactly the right moment so God's purposes in another place in Jerusalem could be fulfilled through Nehemiah's leadership. God has a way of doing that, putting people in just the right place at just the right time so his purposes can be fulfilled. And I just want to encourage you today. We are here in just the right place at just the right moment because God's got stuff for us to do. And we're just going to lean into that as we move forward. It's one of the very first things I think we learn from Nehemiah. As we... To start to discover Nehemiah in chapter 1, what we discover is that his brother comes from Jerusalem and gives a report of how things are there, and the report's not good. The walls are broken down, the gates have been burned with fire, the people there are living in shame, and they are experiencing great trouble. And what we discover as we are learning about the story is that the very first part of vision is seeing a situation that doesn't match God's intention. Right? Nehemiah hears about a situation that does not live up to what God desires for the people of God living in Jerusalem. And when he hears about it, it breaks his heart. Now, as we're thinking about our church and we're thinking about our community, we have a situation too. Right? Our situation, our community, our county has struggles and challenges and hurdles just like the people living in Jerusalem. And while Nehemiah often gets talked about as the guy who goes there to rebuild physical structures, he rebuilds the walls, he puts the gates back in place, he does all of that, but he doesn't do it so he can have walls and gates. He does it because his heart is for the people who live in the city of Jerusalem. I just want to make sure you know that our vision is never about our facility, And we might have to do some things to our facility to make it more usable for the vision that God gives to us in the future. And we'll take whatever steps God asks us to take. But our vision is not our building. Because at the end of the day, God's not ultimately interested in building buildings. God is interested in developing people. So we will stay focused on the people who live in our community. The people that God so deeply loves and longs to reach. Nehemiah had that heart. We have a situation just like Nehemiah. And we could look at a lot of different parts of our community today and see how it's not living up to God's intention. We might talk about education. We might say that as we look at the education of our community, we see that only 17% of our county has a bachelor's degree, which is 14% below the national average. We might talk about the health outcomes of our county. Did you know that we rank 91 out of 92 Indiana counties for health outcomes? We have one of the lowest quality of life indexes in the state of Indiana. Why? Because we have people who are engaged in high amounts of excessive drinking, high amounts of smoking, high rates of teen pregnancy, high rates of obesity. We have people who don't take care of their physical health, and we have a lot of people who are struggling to maintain good mental and emotional health right here in our county. We could talk about that this morning. We could talk about economics. We could talk about the fact that our unemployment rate is one of the highest in our state. We could talk about the fact that 31% of our children live in poverty right here in our county. The number's 18% statewide, but here in our county, it's 31%. 31% of our kids live in poverty. What does that mean? School gets canceled for a day. There are kids in our community who don't eat. That happens right here where we live. And we could talk about that this morning. We could talk about the job market. We could talk about uh, living wage. There are all kinds of things that we could talk about in our community. And, And all of those things matter. And God wants to fix all of that stuff. He wants our community to thrive. But there's one number today. One number, that if you forget everything else that I talk about this morning, I hope the Holy Spirit of God burns this number in your mind, and it's the number 42,000. Did you know that in Grant County, we have 150 churches? Some of you would say too many churches, and I would say not near enough, 150 churches, And only 40% of our county claims to be Christian. Only 40%. That means 60% of the nearly 70,000 people who live in Grant County are unclaimed by any religion whatsoever. Unclaimed. It's not just that they're not Christians. They're not anything. 42,000 people where we live who don't know Jesus. We have work to do. We have a situation I just want to let you know, that's not God's intention. God wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. This is God's heart. This is God's desire. We have a situation. And we must let the situation grip our heart. Right? We drive around our community. Do we see just people clogging up the bypass? Do we see people who get in our way at the store? Or is God breaking our heart to say, I wonder if that's one of the 42,000? When you think about your neighbors, do you know their names? Do you know their spiritual condition? Do you know whether they know Jesus or not? Did you ever stop to think that the reason you're their neighbor might be because you're the missionary sent to them? We got work to do. We got a situation. It's not the way God intends for it to be. Nehemiah had a situation, and when he had that situation occur to him immediately, he does the only thing he knows to do, and it's the thing I'm suggesting that we do in our lives. He goes to prayer. See, when we talk about how is a vision born, it's born when we see a situation that doesn't live up to God's intention, and then we turn to God and we say, God, please show us what to do. And when we do those two things, when a situation joins with prayer, that's where a vision is born. That's the birthplace of vision. We look at Nehemiah's prayer Nehemiah 1, and again, there are lots of things we might point out, but let me just give you uh, two or three things that we might think about from Nehemiah's prayer. First, Nehemiah prays with a broken and a burdened heart. Prays with a broken and burdened heart. It says he wept and he mourned for days. When was the last time you wept and mourned over our county for days? When was the last time God so broke your heart for the place where we live to say, God, could you do, would you do a new, fresh work in our county and bring people to faith in your name and radically change their lives and alter this community forever? When was the last time you spent days weeping and mourning before the Lord to see that become a reality? Nehemiah prays from a burdened and a broken heart. And when he prays, he doesn't judge the people in prayer. He joins with them in prayer. I love this. The reason they're in exile is because they sinned. They didn't follow the commands of God. And so God sends them into exile. That's why they're there. Listen, so much that's broken in our community, so much that's, that seems just lost and hopeless, a lot of that is the result of the fact that people have chosen to live outside of God's plan for their life. It's not the only factor, but it's one of the biggest factors. Nehemiah recognizes that about the people. He said, we, we did not live up to God's commands, and God did exactly what He said He's going to do. He scattered us. It would be easy for Nehemiah, especially since he's the one that's been pulled off in exile and Jerusalem's all broken down and torn apart, it would be easy for Nehemiah to take a judgmental attitude and in his prayers to point fingers at the people who sinned against God. But I love what Nehemiah does. He doesn't judge the people in prayer. He joins them in prayer. He says, even me and my father, we sinned against you, God. And he confesses the sins of the people. When was the last time that you saw yourself as so much a part of this community that when you prayed, you weren't praying against people who were not for God. You were praying with them and saying, God, we confess our sins to you. The sins of our county, the sins of our city. We confess them to you, Lord. Please heal us and restore us. Nehemiah prayed from a broken and burdened heart. He prayed with the people as a priest, not as a judge. We are priests for our community. That's our calling. And so we must, join, we must join with our people in our community in prayer and pray for them. And represent them before God. And then Nehemiah prays for God's purposes to be fulfilled doesn't have a vision yet. Let's be real clear. He doesn't know that the wall should be rebuilt or how they should be rebuilt or what he's going to need to do it. That will all come later. He's going to develop a vision and a plan. But right now, all he knows is that God has a plan and a purpose. And so he just simply prays, God, remember your covenant, fulfill it, keep your promises, bring your people back together, help them thrive in your presence. As they return to you. Because Nehemiah just returns to the purposes of God. We don't today know all of what God's going to ask us to do in the future. But we know this. We're a missional community. And God has put us here because he wants to see his kingdom come. And his will be done in this community. Even as it is done in heaven. So we know what to pray for. Pray for the kingdom of God to come. We don't have to wonder. Does God want that? 100% God wants that. Pray for that. We know that God wants us to be a gospel community, that we're called by God to proclaim the gospel so everybody has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So pray that God would give you the relationships and the people that you could talk to and he would give you the words to say and he'd give you the boldness to say it so that we proclaim the gospel to our community. We know God wants that. We should pray for that. We know God wants us to be disciple-makers. So we should pray that God would make us into the very best disciples that we can be and that he should give us every opportunity possible to make disciples of those who are in our lives because he wants us to be a disciple-making community. And we should pray for multiplication for disciples to be multiplied, for new churches to be multiplied because we know that God has a mission that extends from here to everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. This is the mission God is on. We don't have to wonder about it. We know it. Let's pray for it. Let's go back and pray for the purposes of God to be fulfilled and let's pray in faith because we know the will of God so we can pray with boldness and ask God to do his work. That's what we learn from Nehemiah's prayer. We have a situation. The question is, will we go to the Lord in prayer about that situation to say, God, would you change this situation? Would you make it different? Could we be sitting here a decade from now and see that number of 42,000 cut in half? What would that take? What would that require? I don't know. But do we have the faith... And the willingness to get on our face before God and say, God, please, whatever it takes, do that. What would it be like 10 years from now if we're sitting in this room? Well, we won't be sitting in this room. We'll be sitting somewhere else. If we got 21,000 people that have come to faith and there's a revival breaking out in our community, wouldn't it be awesome to be celebrating the grace and the power of God changing 20,000 plus lives in the next 10 years? I don't know if that's possible, but Shouldn't we be praying for that? Shouldn't we be seeking God for that? See, when we see a situation that doesn't live up to God's intention, the only thing that we know to do right now is to seek God in prayer. Because when we seek God in prayer, and we ask God to change the situation, that's where clear vision is born. I don't know what God's gonna lead us to do. I mean, there are things God's putting in my heart And there are things God's putting in your heart. And we're gonna get in these focus groups and we're gonna share together and a vision is gonna emerge. When we get to the end of the process, we're all gonna say, that's what God wants us to do. And when that emerges, we're gonna pursue that with everything we've got. But until then, we're gonna seek God in prayer about the situation that doesn't live up to God's intention right now. We're just gonna say, God, please fulfill your purposes and show us what we need to do next. Because that's where vision is born. And more than anything else, we want God's vision for our church. So here's what I'm asking you to do. No music this morning, no, no kind of emotional appeal. I'm just simply I'm saying, this is what I'm calling you to do as a congregation. For the next 90 days, yes, 90 days, that's three months. For the next three months, I'm asking you to pray a very specific way every single day for the next 90 days I'm asking you to pray for these three things first I'm asking you to pray for vision that God would give us one clear and compelling picture of what could and should be in the future of Lakeview Church so I want you to pray for that every day for the next 90 days God give us one clear and compelling picture of what could and should be in the future of our church one picture Second, I want you to pray for unity because we don't want to be a church with a thousand visions. Those churches get stuck and they don't go anywhere and they don't accomplish much. We want to be a church with movement and with momentum to accomplish everything that God has for us to accomplish. So that means not just one picture but everybody rowing in the same direction. That means if there's somebody in our church that you don't like, learn to like them And if there's conflict between you and a brother or sister in this body, fix it. Fix it. That's not an option. Matthew 18, if there's a problem that you have with someone else in the body, fix it. Because unity matters. It matters. Division won't necessarily mean that the enemy's at work, but it will be a sure way for us to know the Holy Spirit isn't. God wants to pour out his blessing on this church, but we must be unified. So pray for unity. And then thirdly, pray for courage. I wish I could tell you, God's going to give us a vision for the future, and we can just keep everything the same. No changes. And some of you have already started praying that. Lord, please don't let there be much change sorry, if we keep doing what we've always done, we'll keep getting what we've been getting, and it's not good enough. It's not good enough. We have to be more productive for the kingdom of God. We have to grow younger, and that means changes. And I wish I could tell you we could just tweak something here or tweak a little thing here and it's all going to be great and we're all going to be successful and it's going to be wonderful, but there's going to be a lot of changes, a lot of changes. I don't know what they are. I don't have any hidden agenda. I don't have anything in my pocket of like, oh yeah, here's the 20 things that we're going to change. I don't know that yet. I just know that when we get the picture of the future and we all start going in that direction, it's going to require changes and probably lots of them. And when that happens, we have to have courage. Courage to say we will do whatever it takes short of sin to accomplish the vision that God has given us. And I just want I just want to let you know, even though I don't know what that picture is, I just want you to know I'm already in. I prayed this morning in this sanctuary before anybody else was in this building. And I told the Lord, Lord, I don't need to know what the vision is. I mean, I want to know. And I know you're going to tell us what it is. But you just need to know, Lord, I don't need to know. I'm in, yes. I'll sign the bottom of the contract and you can fill it in later. And it's going to require courage. I'm just telling you, it's going to require courage. But I just want you to know I believe in you. I believe in you as a church. That together we can have the courage to do hard things to step out of our comfort zone, to make really difficult decisions, to take daring risks, to see the vision that God's given us fulfilled. And when we step across the line, we step from this life into the next one, we're just gonna hear what those people in Matthew 25 heard, the two good servants. Well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter into your master's happiness. That's what we wanna hear. So we're gonna run after it with all we've got. And we're going to hear that at the end. So here's what I want you to do at the end. If you're willing to pray for those three things, all I want you to do is just stand up and then I'm going to pray for us and then Jessica's going to come and give a super fast benediction so you can get on your way. But if you're willing to pray for those three things that are on the screen right now, I just want you to stand and say, I'm committing for the next 90 days pray for these three things and we're just going to look around the room and see mutual accountability here. Who's agreeing to pray for them? And if you're not going to pray, don't stand. You don't need to fake it. You can stay seated. It's perfectly fine. We want to be a place of honesty and integrity. So many people standing in this room. I just believe that if we seek God together, if we fulfill this commitment that we're making today, God's going to help us. God's going to help us and we're going to see him do great things. So let me pray for us, and then Jessica's going to come close our service. God, thank you. Thank you that you are not done working in and through this church. God, there are things that you want to accomplish in our community, and Lakeview Church has a responsibility. There are things you want us to do. There are things you're expecting us to do. God, we're going to pray and seek you. We know that there are 42,000 people who need to be reached in our county. That's a pretty big mission field. So God, stir in our hearts this week. Don't let us get away from that number. Keep revealing the situation. And as that situation becomes clear, just keep turning our hearts back to you to pray for vision, for unity, and for courage. For vision, for unity, and for courage. And God, I'm gonna ask you to do something in us that only you can do. Take the situation and our prayers wrapped in your presence and let a new vision for Lakeview Church be born right in our midst. And God, for what you do, we're gonna give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.